August 4th, 2019. The trade deadline has passed. The Nets have their new relievers, and they've embarked on a nine-game road trip out west. We talk about the new August trade rules and position players pitching. From Bethany Beach, Delaware, this is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi there, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake, and I'm John. Uh, so this is our second episode this week. We did one on the trade deadline on Wednesday, yep. which, which leaves us with a short week and a little bit to talk about. We're yeah, so it'll be a short episode. Short episode. Uh, Only been two games since our last episode. Right. Not uh, too much has happened. Unfortunately, we're recording this before the start of the Nats Sunday game in Arizona, which is uh, Patrick Corbin should be on the mound against uh, someone. Someone. <laughs> yes. Baseball experts here. Yes. Clearly remembering all of the mediocre pitching that the Arizona Diamondbacks have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of mediocre pitching, last night's big story was the mediocre pitching of uh, of Steven Strasburg and the... Uh, Worse than mediocre. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, four and a, two-thirds innings, nine runs. Uh, yeah, just not a great performance from him. And this is the second bad performance he's had this year against the Diamondbacks. I would actually at the other game he pitched poorly in where he gave up five, six runs over five innings. But... It's. I think he's tipping his pitches against them. I don't know. They seem to know something. Well, that's home run against Lam- Jake Lamb last night, where he sat on the curveball. First and pitch curveball opposite field. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think he's doing something with. Oof. And the the performance last night raised Strasburg's ERA from a very impressive three twenty six, which had been enough to almost vault him into peripheral Cy Young contention. Uh, to now a three seven two ERA, which doesn't look quite as impressive. No, uh, he struck out seven and four and two thirds, uh, but that was about the only bright spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was great except for all the runs he gave up. Yeah, uh, so and yeah. he had not given up a run or a home run, excuse me, since his start on June twenty first against Atlanta. This is also the first decision that one of the Nats' big four had since. Strasburg's last loss against Arizona on June 15th. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and Strasburg hadn't given up a home run since the second inning home run on June 21st to Austin Riley. Uh, and then he gave up three last night. Uh-huh. Uh, He's given up seven home runs of his this of his 16 this year against the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Uh, and all of them were no doubters last yeah. night. It was, it was not a good pitching performance. No. Uh, but more than that, uh, the sort of story of the night, if you'll call it that, was in the bottom of the eighth inning when the Nats, rather than going to a reliever in a seven-run game, it was 11-4 to four at that point, uh, they brought in Gerardo Parra, who has made it known that he has always wanted to pitch. Uh, maybe he should have been a little less insistent about that because... Yeah. Did not go well. No. And then he pitched so poorly that we had to bring in Brian Dozier afterwards. Yes. A relief pitcher, position player for the position player pitching. Yeah. And what ended up happening is they gave up seven runs, all but taking the Nats out of the game officially. Well. With any realistic chance of coming back. Right. And um, the Nats ended up scoring three runs in the bottom of the the top of the ninth on a Rendon three-run homer. And then had two runners in scoring position when the game ended. Uh, and I guess the, the question that we're going to ask, 
uh, or we're going to talk about is do you have a problem with bringing in position players to pitch in a seven-run game? Um, so for me, not in this case, not in the Nats case. Um, you know, they had a short reliever, uh, short on relievers after last night's game because of what happened on Friday night. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, Elias. That's another thing we can talk about. Yeah, uh, Roanis Elias. Uh, Davey Martinez sends him out to bat in the top of the seventh inning with the intention of bridging him and getting one more out from him with in a, a two-run game. In a two-run game, uh, with one out in the top of the seventh mm-hmm. and nobody on, uh, which I think is incredibly stupid. Yeah, uh, you would much rather have a hitter hit there and maybe try and extend that lead to two or to three runs. Uh, or you know, start a rally or something like that. It was a very dumb moment in the game to be giving up an out just for the chance to get one out later on. I mean, if it was a one-run game, it might be a little different because the guy at plate would be the tying run. Right. But in a two-run game, you know, you could just start the inning off with Strickland, which you ended up doing anyway. Right. Because when Elias decided to disobey Davies' orders and swing, he hurt his hamstring running down to first base, which in Davies' defense, one, he told him not to swing and he disobeyed. Two, if you're a major professional athlete and you can't run 90 feet, feet, I don't know. Right. Something seems to be up. I think if you took random people from the crowd and asked them to run a full sprint at 90 feet, I think the vast majority of them still would probably be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just – you know, people like to laugh at baseball for perhaps not being uh, the most sporting of sports out there. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I agree with that. Uh, for the most part, baseball is a skill that requires occasional bursts of extreme athleticism. And beyond that, it's a lot of standing around and a lot of uh, very finely honed skills like hitting, which is incredibly hard to do, but it's not, uh, you know, a, a generalizable athletic skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't really help baseball's perception when two pitchers you know, on the same day, uh, if you were watching the ridiculous 15-inning uh, White Sox-Phillies game from Friday, you know that uh, Carson Fulmer also pulled up lame running at a ground ball. Well, he hurt his ankle stepping on the base. No, he pulled his hamstring. Oh, hamstring? I thought yes. it was ankle injury. No, it was the exact same thing. Oh, good. Yeah. It was... It, uh, hey, speaking of position uh, pitchers being athletes, you know, Vince Velasquez. Yes. So I guess this is the uh, position player pitching and pitcher hitting uh, episode of yeah. this podcast. But yeah, uh, regardless... all of that this weekend. There was. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, the thing is, though, is that we are seeing an uptick. I mean, last year was broke the record in position players pitching. Right. And this season's already broken that record. It hasn't broken it yet, Not but yet. it will. It will. Yeah, I think so, we're four off yeah. from last year. I mean, Joe Madden was one of those guys who, who – this is going back to our original point, though, about Davey last night. Last night was a little bit of a different situation. You pitched four relievers the night before um, – three, three relievers the night before – no, four. Four relievers really, night before I was right the first time. And if you had thrown – and none of those guys pitched last night. And if you would thrown one of those guys last night in a seven-run game, they're burned for tonight or for today's game. And so I understand why he didn't want to pitch one of those guys. 
you could have maybe uh, that's where a guy like well, I mean the, the interesting thing there is that uh, he had thrown uh, Grace who inexplicably is still on the roster uh, <sighs> which you know Tony Sip is like a, a two something year right since since April 15th yeah April 15th uh, it's ridiculous Sip is a lefty short man a a loogie essentially uh, the guy that the Nats acquired, Elias, who is now hurt for being mm-hmm. an idiot, uh, is not a lefty short guy. He actually has extreme reverse splits this year, although over his career they're roughly average. He's a, a non-platoon uh, lefty. The Nats have a non-platoon lefty, or at least one they use that way, in Matt Grace already on the roster. Matt Grace is not good. Ooh. Tony Sipp is good in a limited function. The Nats have no one to perform that function, but they cut Sip, and then I, I don't know what they're going to do. They might use Grace in that role. They might use Elias when he comes back in that role. But it's just, it makes no sense unless, you know, Johnny has made the point offline, and now he'll make it on, that they were considering uh, years of control with Grace. I was going to say that. But the problem here is that he has no options left. Nope. And, you know, if you cut him next, I mean, eventually... He's the next guy out. Right. Eventually, well, now Javier is back. Right. But, no, I mean, if <laughs> if he has a bad spring next season, then the you know you cut him anyway... Or if you don't want to pay him arbitration prices, you cut him anyway. And that, that whole years of team control doesn't do anything for you. I mean, it's it's easy enough to find, especially post-rule changes when loogies are going to be on the outs around the league, it'll be easy enough to find one if you want one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so going back to the position player pitching. As we bounce around a lot. Uh-huh. Um, so the Nats... Didn't ha- would have had to use a pitcher pitching two nights in a row if they were to throw someone else last night. Right. They, they used, for today. sorry, to, to get back to that point, yeah. they used Grace Rainey, who was abysmal in a game that... Yeah, four walks? Yeah. That's uh, not good. Four walks, three wild pitches. Oy. It was Rosenthal-esque. Cool. Uh, and they used Daniel Hudson just to escape that jam. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, he did his job, though. He did. His He's now stranded... 23 out of 24 runners on uh-huh. the season. He's a reverse part, Bearclaw. Yes. Well, except Bearclaw was also bad with no runners on. Yeah. But, I mean, Bearclaw Bear was just bad. Kyle, Kyle Bearclaw is... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> another example of uh, Mike Rizzo's not great bullpen acquisitions. Yeah. So- but uh, the point that... Yeah, the point that you're making uh-huh. is that the Nets had used... They're bad bullpen. Between the first two games, they'd used every reliever reliever on their team. Uh, and to use another reliever. But even then, like... You're down seven. You got to weigh your you know, options. You say tomorrow night you got Corbin going. It's a good game to win. Hopefully you can use your good bullpen then. The Nats have eight relievers. Yeah. And the idea that they can't get through what... Well, they had... They, again, they had short relievers last night because they didn't have... They were short in the sense that they didn't have the full eight, but they had seven. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, that's not playing short. And I get prioritizing the next day, 
But if the Nats give up no runs in the bottom of the eighth inning, uh, then the three-run homer happens as planned, and then the Suzuki and Soto, you know, they reach base as they did in the real game. The tying run is in the on-deck circle. Now, I get that... They only have seven relievers. They only have seven? Yeah. They only have seven relievers. So they had a six-man bullpen last night. Is that right? Yeah. Who's our seven? Who's our we have a full bench. We have... Yeah. Okay. Well, reg- disregard that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh... So, anyway. Sure. So uh, the, short- the point is... Yeah. Uh, disregarding all that I just said, which is completely wrong. Uh, just make sure on that one. Keep going. I'll correct you if you're wrong. Yes. This is the kind of <laughs> in-depth research that we do for this thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but the point is that, sure, it's a seven-run game. You're probably not going to win it. 99.9 times out of 100, you're not going to win it. Uh, but there's something unsettling about this sort of recent trend in teams playing those odds, and uh, I mean, no, no, Swero hadn't pitched a series. Never mind, you're right. Swero, we had eight. Yeah, wait, I was correct. You were and right. Swero could have pitched. Yes, he could have. The eighth. I, red- I redact my off my criticism then, or my my agreement of with Davey. You yes. definitely could have pitched someone. You could have pitched Swero. Right, and there's been this. I forgot about him. How? I don't know. We have a a long debate as to whether or not he's good. You're always debating that. So, but yeah. the, the point is there's been this troubling trend in teams punting, punting, taking this, you know, looking at this marginal chance of victory and trying to make it an impossible chance of victory in order to preserve uh, chances in the next day. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, the thing is it's a long season. Sure. It's a long season, well, but <laughs> the 162 games, you can't always play for one game. No, I'm not asking everyone to play for one game. I'm asking them to at least keep the pretense that they're playing for the game that they're playing. I, I don't want teams, you know, I, I don't need players sprinting every ground ball out in a seven-run game. I don't think that's useful or healthy uh, over an 162-game season. But I can at least ask that the people who are on the mound pitching are pitchers, except mm-hmm. in the most extreme circumstances. Like the Phillies game. Sure. The Phillies game was an extreme circumstance because their two days from then starter had just thrown a bullpen. And they were out of relievers, uh, which, I mean, it's... You shouldn't run out of relievers yeah, in the that's 14th just bad, inning. That's of, just bad bullpen management on... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that wasn't an issue of them not trying to win that game. That was <laughs> an issue game. Of, of Gabe Kapler, you know, spinning himself into the but ground. It ended like up being does. a lot of fun. It was fun. Uh-huh. Uh, not for Phillies fans. No. Although they probably enjoyed watching Vince Velasquez. My Philly fan friend was very excited about it. I mean, he, he was incredible. I yes. mean, that's... Apparently, he's been lobbying uh, Gabe Kapler and Pete McCannon before him to let him play the outfield uh, mm-hmm. because he. It, what I found what fascinating, if you remember, there was a couple years ago, there was a play where Velasquez took a line drive to the uh, right arm off Eaton, off of Adam Eaton, and turned around and threw left handed. And, and threw him out. And then falls on the floor writhing in pain. Yeah. But but more than that, so apparently uh, 
he was having bone spurs in his elbow, in his right elbow. In high school. In high school, his junior year of high school. And rather than sit out, he decided to play center field and throw left-handed from center. So the guy is just an insane, freakish athlete. Yeah. Uh, and it was fun to watch him. So there's an athletic pitcher. Yeah, right. On the same day that, that Michael Fulmer, or Carson Fulmer, is... Uh, and Elias. Yeah, and Elias pull up their hamstrings running to first. Uh, At least he's not Masahiro Tanaka who pulled two hamstrings running. <laughs> oh my god. It's uh, it's a little weird that these pitchers don't know how to run. Yeah. I mean, they obviously do a lot of running for training. It's a question of running for sprints. beating out a... Uh, yeah, running yeah. sprints to beat out a ground ball. Yep. But anyway... Uh, so that's, I think... You know, with the position players pitching, I think it's a problem. It's this part of gamesmanship and gaming. It's different between gamesmanship and gaming the system. Right. So well, every team is always looking for a marginal advantage. And I think this is where the Joe Madden school of thought comes in. Because Joe Madden was one of the first people to really right. start doing this. Start punting in a six-run game. Right. Uh, and, and if you watched the Rays uh, a week or so back, they punted in a five-run game. Yeah. And then ended up bringing the tying run in the on deck circle, mm-hmm. uh, which it's it's just frustrating because you, know, you, you teams, you, I mean teams may play 162 games, but fans go to one game, uh, and it, at the very least, I think they owe it to fans. You know, the 15 run game that's one thing, but in a game where there's still the pretense or the like a modicum of competition. Teams owe it to fans to at least pretend like they're still trying for this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, you know, position players pitching used to be a rarity, something that you would enjoy, something that you might stick around in a blowout to watch. Uh-huh. But, you know, if they're doing it every day in games that aren't what you would characterize as blowouts, then it's just, it's not as fun. It's lame. Yeah, and it's it just stinks of yet another move that is... Making the product on the field worse. Yeah, that is prioritizing sort of this marginal advantage over any pretense of an entertainment product. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I said this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. And everyone will remember that. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that everyone on here follows my tweets uh, and probably gets alerts for them. Uh, But saves them. Yeah, and saves them to memory. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... If you think of baseball as sort of this closed system where the only objective is to maximize wins, uh, you're thinking of it wrong because that's not what baseball is. Baseball is an entertainment, bleh, an entertainment product that uh, only has value and that winning only has value insofar as it entertains fans. Uh, and so if you're doing these little things that make the fan experience worse – then you're not actually acting in the best interest of baseball or or of your team. Uh, and, I mean, I don't, I don't know that this makes that huge a difference. And I don't know that, that all of the, the small changes that baseball's made over the last 15 years make that big a difference in fan attendance we have seen a leveling off and now a decline in fan attendance but i don't i don't think it's attributable to that i think it's a lot of things uh 
But just from my perspective, of someone who is a diehard fan who's not going to stop attending, these little things make my experience worse, and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I there's nothing I can do about it except complain. But uh, That's exactly what we're doing. That's why you start a podcast. Exactly. So you can complain to the tens of people who are listening. Uh-huh. So, our next topic, after our complaining, um, we're going to talk a little bit about August trades. Yes. Uh, because I don't understand it, but Jacob does. Jacob read a primer. Yes, so he will explain this primer to me, yes. and I will learn. Okay. And I, I will ask the FAQs. Yes, so the new August trade rules. First of all, there are essentially going to be no trades after July 31st. That was the entire purpose of the single trade deadline. But, so the, the rules only apply to players who are major leaguers or who have played in the minor, major leagues this season. So, for instance, a, a good example of this is Drew Butera. Drew Butera has been outrighted off of a major league roster. He's still in a system. But, because he played in the major leagues this season, he can't be traded. So you can only trade minor leaguers who've all been minor leaguers the entire season. Exactly right. Uh, and the the other way that this is sort of affecting – so for instance, if you look at players like, for instance, Astrobal Cabrera. Uh, Astrobal Cabrera was just cut from the Rangers. He was DFA'd. This uh, is released. He was DFA'd, and then he was given his outright release. Oh, okay, gotcha. And the reason that – so currently, there are still outright waivers. You can still designate someone for assignment, uh, but you can't pull them back, obviously, because you couldn't do that before. But there are no optional waivers. Optional waivers used to be the way that you would get trades in August. So the way that it works now is essentially the way that it works. You know, DFAs still work the way that they work all season. If you designate someone for assignment, uh, they can be claimed by another team. Uh, but there would be no real reason for a team to claim them uh, because they. I mean, you you only have the ten days to either trade them. Uh, release them or uh, give them to another team on a waiver claim. And since you can't trade them anymore, uh, it's either they accept the entirety of the salary or you do. Uh, and so there there really aren't going to be claims that way. So you're going to see very likely a lot more releases of veteran players, like you saw with Cabrera, like you will see with Ivan Nova. Uh, which means that there still will be players, and those players will be free agents. Uh, so there still will be players available. Obviously, they're not going to be the cream of the crop. There are going to be no big blockbuster uh, August trades. But the guys that will be available, I mean, you could still see prospect for prospect swaps, although I doubt that that's going to happen. But the, the guys you're going to see are the guys that are, you know, released in August. Uh, and, and some teams will just release players like the White Sox with Nova uh, if they want to use you know a, a rookie or a, an untested player in that spot. Uh, and so you know th- 
it's going to be slim pickings in terms of if there's a huge injury or or something like that uh, replacing you know if, if Trey Turner goes down. God uh, forbid. God forbid. Yeah. Uh, but there will still be a few options available. Uh, just in case of a worst case scenario. Yeah. I think that's important. I think it's because you don't know what happens in the last two months of the season. That's still a lot of the season left. And so, yeah, you can hope that none of your players get injured for the last two months, but you never know what's going to happen. I think that the single trade deadline is has the right idea, but I, I do worry about that sort of catastrophic situation. Mm-hmm. The way that I would do it, if I were commissioner commissioner slash baseball god uh is I would make I would make all trades allowable no matter when no complicated waiver process I would say that July 31st is the deadline for uh for you have to be in someone's system by July 31st to be on their playoff roster uh, and then I would do it the way that they used to do with September, because August 31st used to be that date. Uh, you can replace someone on a playoff roster if you're in the system, or if you are replacing someone on that roster who suffered a, a catastrophic injury that put them on the 60-day DL. Only 60-day? Only the 60-day DL. Hmm. Yeah, they have to be done for the season. All right. They can't just be out for like the first two rounds? No, no. They have to be done for the season. It has to be catastrophic. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. Which I, I think just makes sense. I think that's fair. I think, the, I mean, there would obviously be knock-on effects of that. You would have to figure out how it would work in terms of the way that teams would have sort of opportunism where if one player for one team went down, every team... Uh, you know, there's a very specific situation. Like if you look at the the Yankees right now, uh, Aaron Hicks, their center fielder, may need Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Uh, and well, something like Tommy John has been ruled out right now, according to Aaron Boone. Right. But, For now, but the point is that he yeah. may not come back. Uh, he was feeling elbow pain last night. But the point is that that would then create a rush. Every single team. With the center fielder to trade, they hadn't traded them by July 31st, would be dealing with one team. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how that would affect the market. But yeah. I think it would be an interesting concept because I think the last thing anyone wants is for a team to just have a, you know, by luck or by fate, rather than having an injury on July 30th, they have it on August 1st and they'd be completely screwed. I think mm-hmm. that's that's not it's really not interesting no, or fair. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what happens. There's talks about moving the trade deadline back to August 15th, which I would be against. I think if you don't know who you are two-thirds of the way into the season, mm-hmm. uh, you don't deserve an extra two weeks. Yeah. Uh, but I personally didn't have a problem with the August trade waivers. They're complicated. It's complicated, but it still was a nice safety blanket for a lot of teams. And in real... In, it was just excite add excitement to the to the July trade deadline. But that was outside that of the was Granky the, that trade, was yeah that was the concern. Yeah, outside of the Granky trade, I mean, you still have the same problems, and I think it's just a bigger issue than an August waiver period. It's a non-competitiveness. I think non-competitiveness and the second wild card and a bunch of teams 
waiting till the absolute last day that they could. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell what would fix. I mean, there's big structural problems with baseball right now mm-hmm. that you would need to fix to get the trade deadline to be active again. Yep. Uh, but we yeah. can't fix those in this podcast. So that'll be it for us today. Yep. And uh, uh, we have exciting news. We have decided to take Jeff Passon up on his request. Suggestion. His suggestion. We've changed it. We're changing the name of the podcast on next week. Yes. And the name of the podcast is the Nate McClough mystery files. So for those who don't get the reference, or should we call it searching for Nate McClough? No, I like the Nate McClough mystery The Nate McClough, McClough mystery files. Yeah. All right. So for those who don't get the reference, in 2015? In 2014. Yeah. So in 2014, Nate McClough had shoulder problems that shut him down in July of that year. Uh, and he was under – it was a two-year contract. It was oh. a two-year $10.75 million contract. And the question was, when would he come back? And every single uh, – every single – like pregame availability for Matt Williams for a large part of that year, there was always one question at the very end, where is Nate McLeod? Mm-hmm. And it became sort of this running joke among some Nats fans and Nats reporters, uh, always searching for Nate McLeod. And we thought that that was a good idea for a podcast name. Uh, and we're thinking maybe in December when everything is calm, we might do a, uh, a Investi- ser- investigative report. Exactly. On where Nate McClough is. We'll find him. Yes. If it kills us. So come back next week for, for the Nate McClough Mystery Files. Yep. And we will talk to you guys next week. See you next week. Bye.